listening to the Rest Roots and Renewal podcast. I'm your host, Eric Russell, and each week I'll sit down with another pastor from the Oaks Community Church and give you a sneak peek of the upcoming Sunday. We will look at what the scripture text is for the week along with the questions we are wrestling with, and we invite you to wrestle and think and feel and pray with us. Matt, I've got an opening question for you that was asked and submitted by another pastor of the U.S. Community <laughs> Church. Uh, this was uh, brought up by uh, Pastor Barry this past Sunday, and I thought it was a great question. And if he's got this question, then probably there's others in our church that have this question as well. And so we're calling Proverbs, the series that we're in in Proverbs, Recovering Our Humanity. Mm-hmm. Where do we get that from? What what where does that come from? You you know you sat down and kind of began to think about what to call this series. How did you arrive at that title? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I was really influenced a lot years ago by a work that the pastor and I would consider a theologian uh, Zach Eswine did in his book on Ecclesiastes, which he titled that book "Recovering Eden," which is almost everything that I do. I just I'm ripping his <laughs> idea in terms of how he the lens in which he had on the wisdom literature. Essentially, and really that work stretches back even further to a book he wrote many, many years ago. But anyway, all that to say, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and makes the decision to be omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, you know, these kind of God, these these qualities that we can assume are God's qualities, not our qualities. And so I don't think we wake up and we go, yeah, I, I I can be everywhere all the time, or I can know everything. We don't do that, but I do I do think subconsciously there's this weird human bent to want that, to want those qualities and to try to I mean, if you just look at our need to control things, our need for our desperate need for certainty, our our our, our desperate need to have more connection and be known and all those things. I mean and it just gets out of control. Obviously online exacerbates all of these th- realities. So all that to say I think that the more you can become aware of that, those tendencies that that trip us up, these tendencies to be God, which you can't be. And so I think if you can, the more you can become aware of that, which is what I would call recovering (laughs) your humanity, the more you become aware of those things, the more you're actually beginning to step into a journey of becoming wise. And so you're able to do things like, I mean, just on a very simple level. Like last night, I had a terrible night's sleep. I'm exhausted. So if I'm speaking nonsense today, <laughs> and I, because I taught last night and mm-hmm. I was wired and I went home and I was still wired. And then, you know, it was like 10 30 or something like that. I lay down to go to bed and then I'm. Your brain says, yeah, no. man. And next thing you know, it was 2 45. Oh. Yeah, one of those things. That doesn't happen very often, but it did last night. And it's like, I know there's going to be consequences to this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to try to, and like, what I'm saying is, is therefore like today, I, this morning, this first half of the day, I'm like, there's not going to be a lot of innovation cranking out of this guy, (laughs) you know, and I'm going to turn in early tonight. I'm going to recognize my limitations. That's, that's wise of me. Yeah. (laughs) It would be foolish of me to go as if somehow I can. As though you were all powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's a small, tiny little example, but it's like that happens all the time in your romantic relationships, your friendships, your money dealings, your, you name it. When you want to ignore what is clearly your limitation, you will be a fool. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're, going to be foolish. 
What wisdom is just simply this reliance upon God. That's what we see in the text, right? Like, and reliance upon God to me is just another way of saying you're being a human. Be human. The way you were designed. Yeah, be human sized. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think it just it's it's a helpful thing to revisit here as we're kind of in the you know in the middle of this series to understand the genesis of it. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean mm-hmm. for us as we look at Proverbs? Because mm-hmm. this week we are looking at friendship. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to be in Proverbs 17, 17, and Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 10, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me go ahead and just read those real quick here, and then I've got some questions to kick off for you since you'll be preaching those texts this week. So this is Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 5 through 10 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, every bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So what stands out to you when you read and listen to those texts? What stands out to you? What grips you? What do you find compelling? Clearly, one of the first things is that this idea of friendship is so precious in the text. It's so precious, so rare. One you didn't read was that many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's like lots of people will talk, but it's really hard to find someone who could be a friend. I remember going on a walk one day with my wife, and uh, this was actually just a couple years ago. I don't think that this was brought on by COVID. Maybe, maybe, but I don't really think. And I was, I remember just kind of out of the nowhere, like it was just, I just said, hey, you know what? I think I, I think I'm starting to experience like what loneliness is. I think at some point you start to realize the beauty of something and the beauty of what I mean in this respect is like the beauty of being known by someone like the idea of like what friendship brings and if proverbs is essentially kind of this a book of instruction written for the youth which i think it is and we should be gleaning from it no matter our age so then it, what it's trying to say at least on this particular topic of friendship it's trying to say i think to the youth that you should not underestimate the value of friendship if you think you're going to make it in this world and you're going to make it in a way that is wise, you're, you, you need to see that faithful people are very hard to find. Many people will, and, and, and there's, there's these examples of Proverbs that kind of highlight this idea of how transactional most relationships are. Mm-hmm. And most relationships, like ideas of like, hey, you know, the rich can make lots of relationships, the poor cannot. There's these kind of sad realities that kind of pop up from time to time in the book of Proverbs. And what it's trying to do is it's trying to say that most relationships are like that. Most relationships are very transactional. They're very fleeting. 
Hmm. But there's a kind of a relationship that's not like that. It's not transactional. And it's not even a a family member that's really kind of that expectation is there. Hmm. There's a relationship that sticks, is faithful, is loving, and that's by choice. That's not because they're, they feel duty-bound, and it's not because they need anything from you. It's not because they want something from you, like money or connection or you know, to get somewhere. There's, you're not a vehicle for anything. They just know you and want to be a part of your life in some fashion at a deeper level, and that is a rare gift, you know, according to the book. And I think as I age, you know, I start to see that. I start to see, wow, like I I spent the first half of my life, I think, really underestimating the value, like how important this is. And then you start to get to a place in your life where you're like, man, it is rare. It's really hard. And it's hard to maintain them. In Proverbs, you see certain themes that keep popping up over and over again a lot. Yeah. Uh, themes of money. Mm. themes of words, like we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And certainly this is a big one as well, friendship, companionship. Why do you think the author of Proverbs is hitting f- among all of these different themes? Why is friendship included as one of the major themes? You know, you you, mm. you say it's important, and mm. obviously the, the writer of Proverbs agrees, mm-hmm. otherwise he wouldn't have, mm. you know... Y- addressed the theme so frequently, but why? Why is he including it so frequently? From the evidence that I seem to find in the text itself is this, this incredible gift of being wounded but by someone who loves you for the sake of your good. And there's just something about, like, the friend is the only one that can really do that. They can bring, a friend is someone that can bring you into deeper awareness of yourself. A friend is someone who can kind of help you in, along your process of transformation in a way that I don't think other people can. A transactional person won't do that because they need something from you. So they don't want to wound you, right? They, that, that, they have to maintain a level of like... <laughs> of a fan like they're your biggest fan because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they need a job or they need it they need a whatever they need your money they need something from you and so they won't hit you they won't shoot you straight but if a friend isn't in the relationship for those reasons and sees something about you that needs addressed and you see that so you see this 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 kind of idea of transparency that pops up over and over and over again. And so, and I think that that transparency leads to awareness, which leads to growth. And you see yourself accurately through the lens of a friend. And I I think that that's part of the reason why it's so critical to wisdom, that you're able to recover your humanity, you're able to recover your, your, the fact that you can be limited and loved this fact that somebody can raise to your attention some of your own liabilities and love you and the combination of the two happening at the same time is profound we'll be back in just one moment
So how do we subvert then that part of ourselves that wants to hide? How do we push back against our tendencies to hide, which is what Adam and Eve did in the garden, mm, right? They used to walk good, with yeah, God. That's a good point. They used to walk daily in mm. the garden together. And then one day they didn't mm. show up mm. and they're hiding mm-hmm. and they didn't want to be seen. How do we subvert that part of ourself and lean into the vulnerability of, like, is there is there a method? Is there, you know, we talked about last week, a, a hack, you know, is there, or maybe that maybe that's getting too far ahead in in sermon oh, prep. Well, it's always too far ahead in sermon <laughs> prep. Man, we don't have any of the answers. As I get familiar with being honest before God, I think we can start to practice. And I do think that a key word there is practice. I think we can begin to practice what it means to live truthfully and honestly in front of other people. I think it all starts with maybe asking deeper questions, you know, of people, or maybe expressing more honest, deeper truths about how you feel towards the other person. Hmm. You know, I really value this relationship. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, Initiating the vulnerability, perhaps? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. There's probably a level in which we need to just be more truthful. Don't leave things unsaid. I had a widow in our church one time. I asked him, while he was still somewhat in the throes of you know grief from losing his best friend, mm-hmm. we would just talk, and I said, "What well, what could you tell someone like me, or what would you like other people to know, like particularly people in the church? What would you want them to know if you if there's one thing because you're learning so much right now about life and what's important and what's valuable?" And he said, "Don't leave things unsaid." And he said that from a place of gratitude because he, he, they had done that work Mm. and was like, Hey, we just like, whatever needed to be said, let's just do it. Let's do that. Vulnerability invites vulnerability. Yeah. And when we, I know it doesn't me when I, when somebody else is, is open and vulnerable to Mm -hmm. me with their story and with their life, it signals a kind of trust. And Mm -hmm. I just find myself compelled to reciprocate that trust by saying, Mm -hmm. hey, then if you're willing to do that for me, you might be a safe person too. And here, let me reciprocate by giving you some of my story. Yeah. And and there is also a level of maybe some contagious nature to being someone who wants truth telling in their life, honest feedback. And when you when you're in the presence of somebody who's like, no man, I really want to I want to grow, I want to change, I want to be different, I want to transform, I want to be better for the people around me, I want to be better for my family. What am I pretending not to know? When you witness somebody's bravery in that, I think that that's really contagious. I mean, you may not be ready, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, but it's to, compelling. But it's really compelling. But I do think that if every one of your relationships is well, it doesn't have an element of that kind of raw honesty. I just think that the soul is going to be probably warped and it's going to, because it's going to be desperately looking for a level of connection. You know, for Christian people, I think you people could say, like, I can almost hear on the other side, I can hear the listener somewhere that's saying, this is silly. Like, I have all of this in God. I don't have these expectations or I don't need to have these kinds of connections with the other human beings. 
And I would say, really? Well, so what is, why is it that God looks at everything he's making in the beginning and he's like, that's good. Mm. Oh, that's those birds. Those are beautiful birds. Oh, look at this. This is beautiful. These trees are beautiful. This is good. This is good. He, he's just pronouncing good over everything. He's just shocked by his own creative artistic work. And the first time he says something's not good is when he sees him by himself. Adam. Yeah, and he had God. I don't presume to have the full answer as to what's going on there, but something, something is different. Something is lacking. And that I find utterly fascinating to just sit and think about. What, why, what about it? What about him? And, and I, and you know, people go in the, in the route of marriage and, okay, but that's not all that's there. There's de- definitely more there than just the, the, the first institution of, you know, the institution of marriage, which I think Paul would even pick up on later, right? In, in Ephesians and these that letters. And, and he's like, and this is a mystery to me. Like, I can't even fully understand what's happening here. But yeah, to me, there is such a, fascinating reality that God looks upon man and his human nature, his human form, and it it's good, but yet not. Yeah. That there needs to be human connection along with this God connection. We want to tackle that one for me? Yeah. <laughs> but there's something be- beautiful about the, when human beings are in communion with each other mm-hmm. in a way that reflects the communion that God has with himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that this, this, this being known without shame. I find this fascinating. So it's in Luke 11. I was reading this. This is just this morning. And this Jesus talking, he says, and you, you know, this comes after Luke's version of, on prayer. And they're like, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm-hmm. John taught his disciples. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, it's Jesus talking again. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And that word is like your shamelessness. (laughs) It's like this idea of like Jesus is saying, be shameless with me. Be shameless? Like I shouldn't hold, you know, don't hold anything back. Just dump it out. Are you angry? Are you sad? Do you crave something? What it like? What do you you know? What do you want? Because I want to know you, hmm. or I want. I I think it's better said. I want you to begin to realize how much I know you, and that I still love you, and I want you to be able to experience it. And until you begin to express yourself in the fullness of your honesty and your fullness of your vulnerability in the fullness of your shamelessness. This, this relationship can't get to the level that I intend on getting to with you.
Thanks for listening to the Rest Roots and Renewal podcast, which is a production of the Oaks Community Church in Middletown, Ohio. For more information, visit us at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. You can also email us at info at theoakscommunitychurch.org. 